Oh, hello, our beloved goslings. Here we are together once again. It's me, Liz, and I'm here with my co-host, Will. Hi, Will. Hi, Liz. How are you? I'm great. I'm better than I was. Um, excited to talk to you about stuff. And I don't know about you, but it feels like there's someone with us. I feel a presence. <laughs> uh, it's very, it's very cold in this house. Uh, no, of course it's warmer than ever because uh, <laughs> because of global warming. I'm, a, I'm a married man now, and yes. uh, I won't do anything without my wife. <laughs> so please welcome the, the new third host of the podcast, my, my wife Dana. Hi, I'm wife Dana. Yay! So I've got my pod wife and your wife. Also, yes. Will, I realize something that doesn't mean anything, but I'm going to say it, which is that my my pod wife's celebrity crush and my real husband's celebrity crush are married. <laughs> mm, mm -hmm. Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Ewan McGregor are married. Yes. What? Oh my gosh, what a good couple. I, I know. Believe, well, I believe that they met. Uh, doing the season of Fargo that they did together. Mm. And I believe that at that time, uh, Ewan McGregor was already a married man. Yes, he was. Uh, with uh, one or more children. Yes, I think he has three kids. And or, I can't remember if he has three kids or if now he has three kids, but he has yes, at least three. He, he was a husband and a father who, <laughs> who made the mistake that any man could in his position of meeting Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, in person. Yes. <laughs> so Dana, watch out if Will yeah. ever meets and, Mary Elizabeth now, Winstead in person. And now he's a remarried man. <laughs> I mean, that's intense when it's not, it, it, it's not like, oh, a past situation. It's a, like, oh, they will divorce and marry this other person situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yikes. And she is like, not significantly, significantly younger than him at this point in their lives, but she is like 10-ish, 12-ish years younger than he is. Mm-hmm. As one does. Oh, well. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> uh, still hot, though. Both of them. Yeah. Um. So, do you have old business? Because I do. Old business. Here we go. Um, so it's more music video updates. I, if you'll remember the last time we properly recorded an episode of the Smug Buds, I completely forgot one of the music video updates I wanted to give. Mm -hmm. And I remembered it. Uh, weeks later. I actually remembered it when we were in Seattle. <laughs> okay. Which is, um, a music, it, it's not a, like, it's not its own category. I just think it's like a weird music video thing that, um, I'm, I don't know, maybe it has happened with other ones, but I think it's sort of unique. There's this band called the Red Jumpsuit Apparatus who had a song called um, Face Down. And Face Down was one of those songs that was like, I don't know, part of me is like, it's like a silly pop punk song, but part of me is also like, but if you're looking at the sort of lay of the land. So like, it's a song about... Um, a woman who's in a, an abusive relationship, but the song is basically saying, like, like, the chorus is, do you feel like a man when you push her around? Like, it's straight up saying, like, this is very bad. Like, this is not this woman's fault. Like, you're a bad guy. And when you look at the sort of culture around 
um, the pop punk scene and the punk rock scene in the aughts and things that we know have come out about bands like Brand New, um, besides the fact that that sort of industry was so overwhelmingly male-dominated, um, you know, when you're looking at, like, women in that scene, the sort of standout woman is, like, Haley Williams of Paramore, and that's kind of it. Um, and we're going to be talking more about that sort of um, industry in a little bit um, today, too. Um, having a song like that kind of is a standout, you know? Even if it's sort of, like, you know, in and of itself, like, oh, it's, like, whatever, it's sort of silly, um, but they, for the, I think, 20th anniversary, re-recorded the song. They're still banned. They're still touring. And they re-recorded the song, um, as, like, more of a, an orchestral version. So it's got, like, a full string set section and stuff. And it's a little bit slower. But they also made a second music video for this. And the music video features the woman who was in the first music video, as if her character is now also 20 years later. And I thought they did a really beautiful job with it. Well, for a few reasons. The first is that I know Sarah and I have talked a lot about this, but like we're all, we always love when there's just somebody that's incredibly normal looking. And this woman just looks incredibly normal looking. I'm not saying that she's not like a beautiful, wonderful person. I just mean like she's aged like all of us have. And she looks like she's aged and, um, she looks like she, she doesn't look like a teenager that was in this music video anymore. Um, but they basically have her, you know, as a 20 year forward person, um, making art about the trauma that she like experienced in this sort of first music video, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, and, uh, I just thought it was really well done. I thought, oh, this is like a nice, I think that like, it's one of the, I think I've used this phrase before. They did the best that they could have done with the thing that they were doing. Um, I'm not saying that's the best, that means it's the best piece of art to ever exist. Um, but I was Would just like. Would be weird if you were saying that. <laughs> yes, but I just mean like, um, I was like, oh, I think that you guys actually did something like pretty good here. I'm like impressed with the way you went about this. Uh-huh. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, something that Auden texted me, which is a new category of music video. And I am honestly um, shocked that this has not come up yet. And it's, uh, and they actually saw a tweet about it. Um, it's music videos where the lead singer um, plays a evil version of themselves. <laughs> mm. The examples that were in this tweet that they sent me were, there's like a Nicki Minaj music video where it does it, an Avril Lavigne music video. Uh, clearly Taylor Swift has done this at some point. And also a Mariah Carey music video. Um, but yeah, that is like a really pervasive theme. I mean, I guess we could count the kill in there. Sure. Do you remember what I'm referring to, Will? No. That's the Jared Leto song. Uh -huh. That's like The Shining. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Do you have any old business? Uh, this past week, I saw the first clip from the Venture Brothers movie. Oh! You may recall that back in season two of The Smug Buds, I did an episode about the Venture Brothers because it's one of my all-time favorite TV shows. And I think that the last season aired in 2018, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. I think it was announced that it was canceled in 2020. Mm -hmm. And I think it was announced that they were doing a movie in 2021. Okay. 
And now there is a clip that you can see online from the Venture Brothers movie, which is called Radiant is the Blood of the Baboon Heart. Oh, my God. Uh huh. <laughs> That's and a name. I, and I think the movie is supposed to be out before the end of 2023. Oh, wow. Okay. And I'm assuming um, it'll just may, maybe it'll air on Adult Swim, but probably it'll the only way anyone will watch it is streaming. Yeah. Which I'm assuming will be on HBO Max, although mm. by that point, it'll just be called Max unless they undo that or do something else. Yeah, right. Because right. that's um, stupid. <laughs> um, but so is everything. So it's that's not true. a novel observation. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, seeing the first clip of it made me really excited for it and made me think, I guess sometime in the near future, I am going to be re-watching some Venture Brothers. It's nice. just a question of how much. Yeah. Do I go back all the way to the start? Mm -hmm. I'm tempted I might do that. Do I do just the past season or do I go back two or three seasons? Yeah. Because I really, really have rewatched. A lot, plenty in my life, the first three. Yeah. And then four is kind of borderline. And mm. then everything after that is kind of like too recent for me to have the same long-term memory of it that yeah. I have of those first three seasons. Yeah, that's interesting. I think it would be interesting for you to like curate a best of yeah. that we watch, at least for me to uh -huh. watch with you. <laughs> yeah. Because Dana's, Dana's got a request on Mike. <laughs> once upon a time, Dana has watched the Venture Brothers. She's she's watched the whole series one time through. Yeah. At the time we watched it, I think it was pre twenty eighteen. So you had at least one gap between watching the series thus far mm -hmm. and watching new episodes new at the time. I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that. I'm gonna think about. Uh, how much, how many, yeah, how, how, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now much you're machinating. To, much to think about, yeah. Yeah, and I know um, this is like not really old business at all, but I just, I'm going to say out loud that I am so excited for the new Zelda game. Yeah, I mean, I can't say spoiler alert because I'm not certain that it will be a spoiler, but, uh -huh. um, this is one of your episodes. It's April. Yeah. In May, we will do one of my episodes. Mm -hmm. I have not decided with any certainty what my topic is going to be for mm -hmm. next month's episode. And it has crossed my mind. Maybe when the new Zelda comes out, I will have enough thoughts about it that I will want to do the episode about that. Hell yeah. I'm I'm all on board for that. Yeah. We yeah. shall see. And I took off time. I took days off of work to play this game. I have also taken days off of work uh, <laughs> around the release date of the new Zelda game. I my friend Jay um, from grad school. Well, he well he's from grad school, but he was he had graduated by the time I was friends with him. He was like the English department secretary. Secretary is a bad word, but you know what I mean. Um, Jay and I text back and forth about this, and I'm not one for like. Um, I think you know I'm not I'm not necessarily going to watch like a bunch of really in depth like fan theory videos about stuff, but Jay um has this guy has this he he's got a guy uh he has this guy called Zeltic who makes really really in depth um analysis videos of the trailers that have come out for Tears of the Kingdom, 
But the thing that has been so interesting about watching those videos specifically is that because Tears of the Kingdom takes place in the same Halea as Breath of the Wild, he has, like, in from the beginning, has literally shot for shot compared, like, the shot that they're showing in the trailer and a shot from Breath of the Wild to compare what's different about the two mm-hmm. landscapes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um in a way that feels impossible to me. Like, it feels mm. impossible that somebody would be able to find every single shot and, like, line it up perfectly so that you're literally looking at it from the same angle. Um, yeah. Because the game is so big. The game is very big. Also, I do recall there is a side quest in Breath of the Wild that basically asks you to do exactly that. Oh, you mean the the um, memories part? Yes. Like, it shows you uh, an image and it's like find the location where you will like where you would take that photograph basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel that's true, but I feel like those have some amount of Not landmarks. Not saying that that explains <laughs> the, you know phenomenon yes. you're talking about. Just saying that if there if, is a precedent, I guess. If any, if any game were to be worthy of that, yeah, Breath of, Breath of the Wild kind of set itself up for for that. Also, something that I think is worth mentioning, and then we can move on to the actual episode, is that that I did not realize, and I don't know how I didn't realize this, because this is the sort of thing that I've talked to Jay a lot about. Did you know that Breath of the Wild is at the end of all of the timelines? Yes, I did. I had no idea. and uh, it's, that... it's very easy to not know that, uh-huh. because it, I, I personally, I believe that all that canon is kind of bullshit. Yeah, well, yeah, it's like wimbly-wombly it's, for sure. It's very silly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is retconned. Is that the word? Yeah. Yes. It's, 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 it was not designed that way. It's, it's imposed on, uh, everything that came before. Yeah. A lot, a lot of it was not designed that way. I mean, the, the reason it exists altogether is because some of them do have really direct sequels. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, but yes, of course, especially anything pre-Ocarina of Time, they've just sort of wimble-wombled in there. But um, but yeah, I mean, still, the fact that they say that I think is interesting and um, I think is probably going to have to do with the plot, I guess is my point, of this third movie. And there's all, not movie, this new game. Why did I say third movie? That's completely irrelevant. Um, also, I think it's worth uh, noting that until this last trailer, uh, Chris Kohler, who's a video game writer I really like, had tweeted something like, uh, I just want to point out that Z- like Nintendo has released literally nothing about the plot of this game. I, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not surprising at all. It, well, he, but so he was saying, like, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about today, Will? Why, and why is a- Dana here? <laughs> I have a cute little name for this episode. Oh. It's, it's not it's not going to be reflected in the way that I title the episode when uh-huh. I post it online. But internally Yeah, the headcanon, yeah. Between you and me and Dana and the listener, this episode is called Boy Genius the Podcast. Get it? <laughs> no. Oh yes. Yes I do. <laughs> okay. Wait, I don't get it. The podcast? Like they the make, record and oh, the, the record. tour. Okay. Yeah. And the film. And the film. Mm-hmm. And this is the podcast. Yes. Um, so the reason I wanted Dana on here is because um obviously I'm a big Boy Genius fan. 
And it felt, you know, their album just came out, their full first full length just came out to great acclaim, you know. Um, it's I will say something that is very funny to me about loving Phoebe Bridgers and loving um, Boy Genius and Julian Baker and um, Lucy Dacus is that uh, they're so popular and yet I have no one to talk to about this. <laughs> this is uh, indicative of the culture at large, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, you know, we're, we're every everyone's talked about it to death, so I don't think it's a terribly interesting conversation. We're not going to break any new ground, but I'm talking about the the death of the monoculture, mm-hmm. right? Which means that this band could be on the cover of Rolling Stone, and I probably don't. I I might have one coworker that I could have a conversation with about them. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember too, Phoebe specifically, we'll talk more about sort of their different levels of fame, but Phoebe, you know, Punisher had three Grammy nominations. And I just remember thinking, finally, (laughs) yes, someone will at least have heard of who Phoebe Bridgers is. Um, And no, they had not. Um, I also, I will say, this is, so I, I showed Will and Dana earlier, I am wearing my Boy Genius merch, so I got a t-shirt, I, when I bought the out with the record, the vinyl version of the record, I also bought a t-shirt which has the sort of metal font on it, um, that says Boy Genius, and then it has the sort of quote-unquote biblically accurate angel with all the eyes, and then at the bottom it says, always an angel, never a god, from, um, their song Not Strong Enough, but I also have on these little charms um that phoebe bridgers did in a collaboration with this jewelry company catbird um that are these two little they're friendship hearts but they have skulls on them and there's lyrics on the back and i I, they didn't come with a chain though so i had to buy a chain and so two weeks ago um we went to the mall and like the fancy mall we went to tyson's um which has the reason we went to the fancy mall is because they have a conveyor belt sushi restaurant in the middle of the mall Mm. which i am obviously obsessed with and um, we went to a Pandora. I was like, a Pandora will have chains. And there were two young women working in there. Um, one of them was Muslim. The other one was black. And uh, they were really interested in the charms that I got and were being very nice to me. And they were young women. They were younger than me. I was like, they were like, what What are these from? And I was like, oh, Phoebe Bridgers. She's like, she's in, I was like, have you heard of Boy Genius? And they were like, no, but the name Phoebe Bridgers sounds familiar. And I was like, like, I sort of cycled through a few things, and I was explaining it. And then I was like, um, have you heard – you know SZA, right? And they were like, yeah, we know SZA. Of course we know SZA. And I was like, do you know the song Ghost in the Machine on her new album? And they were like, yes, obviously we know Ghost in the Machine by SZA. And I was like, yeah, that's Phoebe Bridger singing on that. And they were like, oh, that's where we know her from. They also asked if I was an influencer. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. And I said – What a compliment. No, I am an older lady. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So came up um, at trivia the other night. There's always um, an audio round um, that oh, is yeah. like music based, mm-hmm. and um, our our friend who does trivia with it with us, Mimi, did guess it eventually. But that was a band that we had some trouble recognizing, <laughs> <laughs> which shows our age, I guess. Yeah, I and the thing is, is like I I really try to. I mean, I like the things I like, but I do really like pop culture, and I really try to keep up on pop culture things. Uh, so I hope that I'm never that person. I hope that I can always interact with people about things. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's uh, uh it's cool to be like, 
oh, this new stuff sucks. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be that type of person. I don't want to be that person. Yeah. Who makes that my personality? Yeah. I, yeah. I also don't want to be somebody that makes fun of people. Like, like I got made fun of at work once for not having ever used an 8-track. And I remember saying, like, 8-tracks were only around for, like, a really narrow period of time compared to, like, other forms of, like, physical media for audio. And they were just like, oh, you're so young. And I was like, I believe 8-tracks were only available for about, uh, like, a 12-year period with really only 8 years of, like, active use, whereas cassettes were around for, like, 30 to 40 years before they sort of fell out of vogue. And they were just like, you're young, ha ha ha. I was like, I have actual thoughts and information and you're just being mean to me where's your laser disc yeah collection and your betamax tapes liz my um my ex-boyfriend's dad had a bunch of laser discs that's cool laser discs were had movies on them right that's correct he had a he had a laser disc specifically of the lion king one and a half uh-huh sure <laughs> I was like, this got made. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about Boy Genius. And I want to talk about, I'm going to sort of ask the question, like, what is a supergroup? And why is Boy Genius, obviously they're really critically acclaimed, but I, I sort of want to talk through my thoughts about why I think that they're so good. Um, just, I just, it's, I feel lucky that I am alive when Boy Genius is happening. I feel lucky that I am alive to get to see them live and to get to hear their music come out when it comes out. And they feel really special to me um, in a way that I'm not like nostalgically looking at them and saying, oh, that was special at the time. And I had no idea. Um, and so that's why I wanted to talk about that. Um, so yeah, give me your, give me your baselines kiddos. I, I'm going to start with Phoebe Bridgers actually, yeah. if that's okay. Yeah. That's, so- that's, that's, that's part of the baseline. So both Phoebe Bridgers and Julian Baker were um, artists that I had heard a couple songs from because Will and I had some songs we listened to a lot and they were like in that mix. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when um, Phoebe Bridgers' um, last album came out during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. was it 2020? Yeah, I think it it came out. out, I think it came out June of 2020. Yeah. I remember you being really excited because you were already a bigger fan at that point. Mm -hmm. And um, so I started listening to it on YouTube and was like, wow, this is the best music I've ever heard. (laughs) This just or or in a way where it just felt like perfect for me. Like it was hitting all of the points that really work for me when I'm listening to music, Mm -hmm. like lyrically, just like the feelings that the, the songs like hold up in me and um a hobby i got into during the pandemic was roller skating with Mm -hmm. um, some of my friends because it was something that we could do safely together outside and uh so a lot a couple evenings a week we would meet up at this usually mostly empty huge parking lot that had been freshly paved in a way that it was like really smooth nice and it was Man, you dark you hit the jackpot yeah <laughs> it's no longer as nice unfortunately um yeah and uh, there are these like big tall lights and we would see like night hawks which are these really cool type of night bird flying yeah. around it was kind of a cool time And it's a little bit of a drive for me to get there. And I would listen to this Phoebe Bridger album in the car. And 
Uh, it felt very cathartic and kind of emotional listening to it. And it was at this really specific, weird, but like surprisingly good time of my life, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> despite, you know, everything else going on. Uh, so that's, you know, how I got into Boy Genius. And I hadn't listened much to the Boy Genius EP, mm -hmm. I guess it would be. Yeah. Um, though Bite the Hands has been one of those songs that I listen to, like, on repeat a lot. That's my, my yeah. favorite song. Um, That's your favorite song. That's interesting. It continues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so by the time this album was coming out, I was really excited for it. And I've bought the vinyl and listened to it several times at this point, either, you know, on the vinyl or in my car. Yeah, nice. What about you, Will? Have you listened to much Julian Baker or Lucy Dacus? I hadn't listened to much Lucy Dacus, like, at all. Yeah. Um, and I've listened to some Julian Baker, but I'm not as familiar with it. Okay, yeah. But what it's something that I'll, like, put on sometimes. What about you, Will? Uh, my baseline starts with music. Uh, how, oh, did, <laughs> how have I listened to it? Well, uh -huh. um, I think we I think we talked about this before, uh, maybe in the context of my episode where I made a mix for the podcast. Yeah. Um, as a child, I, I was not really interested in music until a certain point and mm -hmm. once i reached that point then the thing to do was to buy cds mm -hmm. and i mostly bought cds from one band which was my first favorite band which was a christian ska band mm -hmm. called five iron frenzy and then um buying cds gave way to napster mm -hmm. and limewire and kazaa mm -hmm. and that was a a heyday uh, for listening to an eclectic mix of uh, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then that era gave way to iTunes. Yep. And iPods. And then, yes. And and, and the, the reason I, I am laying this runway is because I want to talk about post-iTunes mm -hmm. when... A lot of people might use Spotify. They might, you know, um, it's it, it's been only YouTube for me. Yeah, yeah. So post iPod, post iTunes, uh, YouTube became like how I listen to music. Mm -hmm. And YouTube's algorithms, recommendations for me became how I was introduced to new artists and mm -hmm. new songs. And Phoebe Bridgers and Julian Baker fit into that box. Yeah. Emblematically. Mm -hmm. Apologies to Lucy Dacus, but because of this, Lucy Dacus is the other one. Yeah. To me, because I wasn't familiar with her at all prior to learning who she is by learning who the members of mm -hmm. Boy Genius are. I mostly don't discover new music mm -hmm. now of days. Yeah. I uh, I had a good 
run of like, I would listen to a song because YouTube put it in front of me. Mm -hmm. I would like it. It was catchy. So I would drop it in a playlist mm -hmm. and I wouldn't generally seek out artists albums or their other work i would just kind of cherry pick the songs that i liked out of what youtube was serving up to me yeah and so both phoebe bridgers and julian baker were like to me a couple of their songs that i knew yeah do you know do you remember which songs they were by the way i'm, I'm assuming sure motion sickness for yes. Phoebe. Yes. yes it was motion sickness for phoebe bridgers and i I don't remember a song title for Julian Baker off the top of my was head. Was it Appointments? Mm, that doesn't ring Sp a bell. Sprained Ankle? I just know that her her name and her look yeah. like rings a bell enough that I know that she was in that mix. Yeah. None of her songs rose to the surface quite like Motion Sickness did. Yeah, Motion Sickness uh, is such a bop. During that time, yeah. So I was hearing these new songs and listening to them on playlists, mm -hmm. but not really discovering new albums. And now I'm doing even less than that. Yeah. Because I still use YouTube for music, but I'm generally listening to stuff that I already know, mm -hmm. or I'm not trying out new songs. I'm just putting on like... Because part 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 of the evolution, <clears throat> excuse me, part of the evolution of YouTube mm -hmm. is that the way I think that because of the way monetization works on YouTube, YouTube does not incentivize creators and uploaders to serve me individual songs. Oh, I see. Yeah, they want me to click on videos that are over an hour long. Mm -hmm. And so that's a lot of my recommendations. And so that's a lot of what I do now mm -hmm. is I click on the video that's called like relaxing PS2 music part three. And Kenny's a big fan of the relaxing video game music. And it's four hours long. Yeah. And I, I put it on while I work and pause it and pick up where I left off later. And you're very relaxed. Are you All a lo-fi? Are you a lo-fi beats? Yeah, basically. Yeah. I, do, very exciting development in that world. I was going there, to ask if you saw, yeah. Yeah, there's a lo-fi boy now. I call there's him Synthwave a, a, Boy. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. there's a Synthwave Boy across the street from Lo-Fi Girl. Yeah, I love the whole universe. Yeah, there was yeah. a whole big been. thing. <laughs> yeah. They like zoomed in and I watched it. I watched it live. I watched it retroactively. I didn't watch it uh, live. I, I take that back slightly. I had it on live and then had a meeting and it happened when I was in the meeting. So, like, mm -hmm. I had watched up into a point and then went back. But it was, like, I watched it live, like, 30 minutes or something so, after it So, happened. did people know this was going to happen ahead of time? They teased it. Yeah. Uh, they, 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 I missed they, that part. Yeah. They teased it by, I think, on April... Well, on April 1st, Lo-Fi Girl took a nap. And, <laughs> and then some days later, post-April Fool's... They did some kind of like, oh, the lo the lo-fi girl video is like slowly pushing in on this blue window, which is blinking. That you can see in the background across the street, 
And then that became the introduction to the... That's so cool. I love that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, But anyway, all of every... all Everything I just brought up, I bring up to try and say... Yes. When I first heard of Boy Genius, I understood that they were a super group because I had heard of two of them. Mm -hmm. And I think I listened to the EP when it was new. Mm Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And now I kind of have a similar relationship with the record. Yeah. I've listened to it a few times. We own it. Dana bought the vinyl. Mm -hmm. Um, Dana's obviously a bigger fan than I am. Which is why she's on the episode. (laughs) And so, you know, I'm getting the... I'm getting the low-key version of your guys's uh enjoyment yeah for sure and their output my baseline here is that boy genius was the first one i encountered um and i encountered it because i think hanif of durakeeb had posted um like right after the ep had come out like this is amazing um and so i sort of was like i trust hanif of (laughs) durakeeb And so I started, and it was six songs. It was easy to to listen to. Um, And so I listened to that EP a lot. And um, Kenny bought it for me on vinyl because he just noticed I was listening to it a lot for one of of the holidays. Um, And from there, I started listening to some of their individual stuff. Um, But I really hadn't listened to, to like, very much – Julian Baker or Phoebe Bridgers until Punisher came out. Like, I had heard Motion Sickness a lot, but I hadn't listened to Stranger in the Alps, like, over and over again by any standard. And I think that this also, I mean, in terms of, like, um, the way that we listen to music, I have a problem, which is that I feel like if I don't intimately know every song in a person's like um discography then perhaps i am not a true fan (laughs) and that at some point i may be tested and if i'm not ready and i fail the test i will be very embarrassed and i can give you one example of the one and only time this has come to fruition which is that in college um it's all crazy it's all false it's all a dream it's all right by me without you had just come out um which was their like real album where they really got away from more of their like post hardcore roots. And there's a song on there called the Fox, the Crow and the Cookie, which is about retelling the folk tale about the Fox, the Crow and the Cookie. I think that's my favorite song on that album. It's, it's a perfect song. It's like perfect and precious and funny. And it's got amazing lyrics and it's, um, good, good harmonies. It's got a good, like, um, uh, like emotional build in the music. Um, and, I was at Charlie's at Susquehanna and Greg Trout was playing songs on guitar, just like whatever. And he was like, hey, Liz, uh, do you know this? And I said, of course I do. And came up and sang the whole thing with him perfectly without having to look up any of the lyrics. And I was like, this is why I am the way I am. So that if this happens (laughs) again, I'm ready. (laughs) And so... Which is to say that um, when with Boy Genius, like, I felt a little bit guilty that I maybe wasn't really paying as much attention to them as I should have. Um, but when Punisher um, was going to be coming out, I 
Oh, I, let me actually back up. Not only was I listening to Boy Genius, something that I, I think is very true of Boy Genius is I really feel strongly that their live performances are actually more of the canon version of their songs than the recorded versions, if that makes sense. Mm, that's interesting. Um, Because I feel they... I And I think that the recorded versions are really beautiful, and I think that there is, like, a real genre... I think that there is a genre difference between songs performed live and songs performed in a studio mm. um, for a recording. Um, but I just think that... The big example I'll give is in Me and My Dog, um, which is from the EP. At the end... Um, Phoebe sings, I dream about it and wake up falling. And in the recorded version, she just sings it sort of very quietly. Um, She just sings like, I dream about it. Um, Every single live version of that song, she, her mouth is fully unhinged. She is screaming, I dream about it and wake up falling. And to the point that now when I hear the recorded version, that sounds like the wrong version to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but so I had been listening to them and then of course um we knew that Punisher was going to be coming out. She had released um uh uh Garden Song and Kyoto and I was like, "Oh man, these are really good." I was like really getting into it. The pandemic Yeah, I remember course, us listening to Kyoto a lot. That song is such it's, I mean it's, it's it's a bop for a reason. She had written written it slowly and her producers were like, "We got to have a song that's not so sad." that's not so slow and they were like she was like okay i think we can do that like she was like let's throw some horns on kyoto and that's that's what ended up happening with that one and we um and then it came out and i remember listening to it and getting to the last song to to i know the end where she's just screaming and just (laughs) just weeping just like weeping at my kitchen table while i was working um, because it was like, you know, June of the pandemic. I don't think I, Elliot wasn't back in pre in, in daycare yet. She wouldn't go back to daycare for another like four or five weeks. Um, I was losing my mind. I was drinking more than I've ever drunk in my life, which is not to say that I was drinking very much. I was having like a drink a night, which is, you know, not really that maybe it's a lot over time, but <laughs> I was not getting drunk by any means any night. I was having a single night drink every night. I was just, I was just really losing my mind. And, um, and then this album came out that felt like it was losing its mind with me. And I was like, really into it. I immediately, um, found the skeleton suit, the original skeleton suit, not the ones that she bought later, but the original skeleton suit that she, um, is wearing on the cover and that she wore for the original appearances, which you can tell the original because it has little hands on the sleeves. Um, I bought that immediately and was Phoebe Bridgers for Halloween that year. That's also, I bleached my hair. Um, and then in that time I was like, oh, Liz, maybe you should listen to this other, these other guys, (laughs) the other boys. (laughs) Um, Julian Baker was really, really easy for me to get into because she, um, uh, is, um, really devastated all the time (laughs) um my favorite julian baker song is probably appointments which is from her second album turn off the lights i gotta Um, i i gotta cut in here to give you an apology when you suggested that appointments was the song that i would have heard and i said that that didn't ring a bell well as you've been talking i brought up 
my playlists yeah. on YouTube, one of which is called Songs. <laughs> um, and uh, look what I found. Oh, let's see. Appointments right there. I see it. And side, and- side by side with motion sickness, yep. which I knew I was going to find. But yes, I had <laughs> forgotten that appointments was in fact. To be fair, it's called appointments, but. And we're going to talk more about this. Like appointments is a word in the song, but it's not like necessarily the most memorable word in the song. I must have listened to it quite a bit but not for a while and i cannot remember it now for the life of me this song is my favorite to listen to when i want to throw myself off a cliff uh because the at the end she starts singing maybe it's all gonna turn out all right and i know that it's not but i have to believe that it is (laughs) I love something I love about Julian and we'll talk more about this later too is but the reason it was easier for me to get into Julian is because you know if you listen to the other lyrics I I really want to make like a TikTok about this but I'm not sure I can execute it properly we're like you know Lucy talks about stuff uh, Phoebe talks about stuff and they're melancholic perhaps they're introspective they're maybe a little sad they're maybe remembering loves Julian Baker's like I don't know if I deserve to exist on the world in the world <laughs> She she literally has a song, a lyric to where she says, it's not that I think that I'm good. I know that I'm evil. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Julian, are you okay? Um, But, and then there's Lucy. And Lucy, I, I feel really guilty about this, but I had a really hard time getting into Lucy until sort of recently. Um, I don't know what it is about Lucy Dacus that has made it harder for me to get into it. I think that maybe Lucy, I think that Lucy is probably, this is maybe, Lucy I think is the most torn up inside, the least torn up inside out of all of them, uh, which is good for her. I'm really glad that she seems to be the most uh, mental health positive amongst the three of them. But it does mean that I think, you know, her lyrics aren't like cutting into me like knives, which is oftentimes what I'm looking for in music. But yeah, and so I, I've, I had, I, and I own her first album, um, and I've, I've listened to her, but way more casually. I couldn't like necessarily quote Lucy Dacus lyrics as, um, readily as some of the other ones. So, so, do you mind if I take this moment to add? I have not yet gone as far as seeking out any of Lu- Lucy Dacus's solo stuff. Mm-hmm. But I might be on the verge of doing that. Yeah. Because for a different perspective than the one that you've just articulated, Uh my take on listening to the record is I think that the Lucy Forward songs are my preferred songs. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I do love her voice. I was um, trying to figure out coming into this, which of their voices is my favorite. Oh, God. Yeah. And that's kind of impossible. I love Phoebe Bridger's voice, but I feel like Lucy Dacus's voice for me is like the most beautiful. Now, you know now something can be said about novelty, right? Yes. Like it, it's possible that I'm responding to the Lucy tracks most because I am not familiar with her work. Mm-hmm. And I think I already, I definitely, I, I, I think I've locked into Phoebe Bridger's. I think I know enough about Julian Baker to you know i have the cliff notes lucy might have an advantage over Mm -hmm. the other two which is the novelty factor 
I don't know if that's the whole explanation for my reaction. Maybe it's only partial. I think Lucy's voice too. I love Lucy's voice. She's absolutely like the alto of the group. And she's also, I mean, once again, if we're talking about stability, like she's the alto. So she's very often taking that sort of like lower harmony. Um, She also can belt, but she just doesn't do it in the same way. Like Phoebe will scream. Julian sometimes sings notes where I, I always talk about how Julian has anime face where she's this tiny, tiny little person. And she opens her mouth and it's literally taking up half of her face. Um, and I'm obsessed with this when this happens. I got to see Julian um, last year at the Wild Hearts tour. And she did that a few times and I just melted. I was just like, I can't. Yeah, I feel like I've heard you mention this many times. I can't. I can't. The other thing too is like, Julian for me is absolutely the hottest one. And she's so hot and I can't handle it. And it seems like she won't be hot. And then I see her and I'm like, oh my God, everything you're doing is making me just melt into a puddle. Like I cannot handle how just like pure energy she is. I said I said earlier I was just I was experiencing the low key like mirroring of what the two of you have experienced. I feel like we're on a spectrum. Where like Liz, you know, you you pick this subject for a reason. Yeah, you're at the upper end of the spectrum. Dana's somewhere below you, and I'm somewhere below the both of you. But it is like I relate to what you're saying. I I'm not as exuberant about it. Yeah, but there, you know, uh, ditto <laughs> what yeah. you just said about Julian. Thank you. She she really has like um. And this is one of those things, too, that, like, it's harder to see if you're not seeing her live. But she really is just mesmerizing to watch, too. Mm-hmm. I also, too, I always, um, a friend of the pod, Elise Noor, um, I had been talking to her at one point um, about, she was like, I feel like I'm butch. But, like, I feel like butch isn't the right word for me because, like, I have longer hair and, like, I still, like, shave my legs or whatever. And then I saw her, like, at AWP, I think this was in 2020, and I had said to her, Elise, I I don't want to put labels on you, but I think I found the word for what you are. And she was like, what is it? And I was like, you're a long hair butch. You're an LHB. And she was like, that's it. And Julian Baker is an LHB too. Mm. I always always say that Julian Baker is my favorite LHB. Elise is my first. Um, So anyway, that's how I came to all of them. Punisher came out. um, Just for anyone who's just listening to this (laughs) and not watching it like I am, Liz just looked... She was like looking up at the sky with <laughs> such love in her face and had to like shake herself out of it. <laughs> yeah, that's I think accurate for how I am very often in my life. So Punisher comes out, I'm obsessed. I get to see I wouldn't I'm supposed to see her and the the concert get can, gets canceled. Um I end up seeing her in September um with Aram. Aram buys me tickets for Philadelphia as a birthday present, which is one of the kindest presents anyone's ever gotten for me because I like desperately needed that I just scream my head off um and then uh Julian has an album come out she has little oblivions come out and then Lucy has home video come out and now so which also let me just rewind a little bit so pre-boy genius 
Julian had two albums come out. She had Sprained Ankle and she had Turn Out the Lights. Sprained Ankle came out in 2015. Turn Out the Lights came out in 2017. And both of those albums, um, she was really young. She's the youngest member. She's the youngest member, I guess not by much. I think there's like maybe a year between her and um, Phoebe. Um, But she is the youngest member. And when her first album came out, she was still in college. And she ended up actually taking a hiatus from college to go tour sprained ankle um she recorded sprained ankle just like on campus and it became a really well-known sort of like indie darling album where um everybody was like this album's amazing and then she like toured on it for a long time and she did end up finishing her degree in 2019 phoebe had had one album come out which was stranger in the alps um and then lucy also had an album which was um Oh, sorry. She had two albums. So she had had No Burden come out in 2016 and then Historian come out in 2018. So all of them had um, albums out. And then they had met each other. And there's this really funny story about how um, people kept comparing Phoebe to Julian Baker. And Phoebe was like really, really resistant to listen to Julian Baker because she was so annoyed that people kept comparing her to Julian Baker. And she was like, and then of course I listened to Julian Baker and was like deeply flattered. (laughs) um but they had because they were in sort of the same you know world they basically were like hey we should like go on tour together and then they were like well if we're going to be on tour together you know so much of this industry is like they take women and they pit them against each other which i think that something really good something i love about boy genius particularly is Boy Genius loves making jokes, and they specifically love making jokes about what people think that they should or should not be. Um, But that also then ends up being, like, foundationally part of their methodology, too. And so, like, the fact that they're called Boy Genius is a joke about, like, how there's these, like, prodigal young boys, right, that are just sort of like, oh, you know... they're just like a boy genius like look they can just do whatever they want like they're so gifted um and jimmy neutron yes exactly (laughs) yeah jimmy neutron was actually a secondary uh name that they were gonna go with and then they decided to go with boy genius so Mm -hmm. that they didn't have copyright issues um but they got to they were like well if we're going to be going on tour we should all have a song that we can sing together Cause that we're like three amazing musicians. That's that makes Dexter sense. Dexter from Dexter's Lab. I see. I can I can do it too. I'm, I I there's no reason why I should be replaced on the podcast. I can also name a boy genius from a cartoon from the '90s. Well, I uh, there there was a joke I saw. I forget if I saw it on TikTok on Twitter that was like. It just was like boy genius fans anytime they see three things together. And then it was just like somebody pointing and going, boy genius. <laughs> so now we need a third boy genius from a cartoon that can be boy genius. Venture mm. Brothers must have well, boy geniuses. Venture <laughs> Brothers was very much playing with those yeah, tropes. Those tropes. Right? Mm-hmm. So they got together to just get one song that they would be able to sing together. And they had so many ideas that they recorded the EP in four days. It comes out. Everybody loves it. Um, It's, again, very critically acclaimed. They ended up touring, which I don't think that they were expecting to do, like, as Boy Genius. They did a Tiny Desk concert. And there's a lot of really, really great recordings from that era. Um, So there's, like, the Tiny Desk concert. There's a 
uh, I forget the the W letter letter letter, but there's like a radio show where they played basically the whole album um in the like radio studio that's on YouTube. There's the um Brooklyn Steel performance um where they did everything. Um did like the whole EP uh which is incredible. I mean that that is sort of a um like a keystone performance of theirs. Um because at one point too, I guess they were they went to couples therapy when they were or thruples therapy when they were recording the record. And one of the things that they were talking about was a time that they felt like like genuinely really happy and present in their own bodies. And the time that all three of them cited was when they finished singing Me and My Dog at Brooklyn Steel. Because I guess the house lights came off and everybody's faces were just like in shock and awe and like wonder and um, joy and I think, you know, emotion. And they they realized that they had like evoked that from those people. Um, and that everyone was also really like engaged in what they were performing. Um, so that happens, and then they go off and they each do their own. So we get Punisher, we get, uh, Little Oblivions, which was studio, uh, which was Julian's first album where she had, like, a full band. Um, but it's also worth noting that on the actual recorded album, Julian plays every single instrument. Hmm. Um, which is, I'm always shocked. Which, which, as a note, uh, Dave Grohl on the first Foo Fighters album also played every single instrument. I did not know that. And then he like was like, oh, I should probably get a band. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't do this live. And then this year, I was on TikTok, as I want to do, and I suddenly see a TikTok of somebody who was driving down a road and saw Boy Genius in these very brightly colored sort of knitted outfits posing by a light pole. And... They had just posted this video, like, I saw Boy Genius doing a photo shoot. And I was like, holy shit. We're getting new Boy Genius this year. And lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, Boy Genius dropped. I get an email from Julian. (laughs) I mean, she didn't email me specifically, but for some reason, I guess because I had gone on a Wild Hearts tour. I got an email from Julian that's like, there's a new boy, there's a new boy genius album coming out. There's three songs. You can go listen to them right now. You can buy the album and like, like right now. And I was like, ah! (laughs) So I like, you know, I'm on my computer. The, the, the thing wasn't working. The website wasn't working at first, but I got, I got the limited, got the blue vinyl. I got this shirt. And then we got the album. So I wanted, the thing I wanted to talk about was like, what makes a super group? And Mm -hmm. I think part of the reason, obviously, Boy Genius makes sense together as musicians. But part of what I want to talk about is how I think that Lucy, Julian, and Phoebe are all actually very distinct songwriters that have very different modes of communication, um, sort of formal structures that they utilize regularly, um, themes that are are, um, pretty different i i can't speak to their songwriting processes to julian and and um lucy's songwriting process but i know that phoebe has a really song specific songwriting process that i think um comes up and i think that part of the reason that this is so special is because we have these three people that have decided they are going to do nothing except work together in community um, whereas I think even in some other sort of supergroups of the past, there's just been conflict that has ended up breaking them up. 
I also wanted to, to bring up a super group that they were very heavily influenced by, which is Crosby, Stills, and Nash. So and sometimes young. <laughs> so did you know that their album cover is a reference to a Crosby, Stills, and Nash uh, no, I didn't. album cover? I didn't know this either. Um, and I think that that is really interesting knowing how they would then like end up doing uh, other sort of references to these things that men had done before them. So yeah, if you just Google Crosby, Stills, Nash and, Nash and Young, it's only Crosby, Stills and Nash for this album, but it's the album Crosby, Stills and Nash is uh, them all sitting on a couch and uh, the one guy is sitting up on the back of the couch. The other guy is sitting with his guitar in the middle with his leg bent and then Crosby, who I do know who he looks like because he was, this sounds insane, but I know he just died, but he, and I probably have mentioned this before, but like he was, he was friends with Kenny's uncle, like in real life. Hmm. Um, So I know what he looks like. Um, He's sitting with like one leg up. And if you, you look at the Boy Genius album, they're all in the same positions on a couch. And that is a direct reference to this other sort of super group. Okay, I'm I'm confused. Is yeah. this the cover of the EP? The cover of the EP is uh, a reference. Okay. Yes. Okay. I was thinking of the record, but you yeah, no. you were talking. Yeah, got it. Um, okay. Which now, I didn't know until very recently, like the past like month. Yeah, I think that's I cool. learned that. I I see. Yeah, I'm I'm look. We're looking at the two, and I see the uh, clear resemblance. Intentional <laughs> resemblance. So, but this leads me to yes. I bet I I bet you know this. I hope you do. Oh God, let's see. Here's what I think I know. Correct uh-huh. me if I'm wrong. Uh-huh. Phoebe Bridgers performed on SNL. Yes. I haven't watched it, but I assume the song was "I Know the End." Yeah, it was the second. Yeah. And she smashed a guitar. Yes, because mm-hmm. she thought it would be funny, which it was. But, so, people but, but some people didn't like it. Yeah, one of those people was Crosby. Was, uh, was, uh, well, it David was Crosby. David Crosby, wasn't it? was David it? Crosby, yeah. Before he died recently, David Crosby was like terminally on Twitter. Yeah, he was. Just saying whatever he wanted, yes. you know, because who cares, I guess, when you're that old, what bridges you burn? Yeah, or bridgers. Uh, very good. <laughs> And so he burned, uh, he tried to burn Bridgers with some tweet about how what she did was like disrespectful or some, something. Yeah. He just, I think he even said it was childish, maybe. Probably so, yeah. And she, I think her response was like, maybe to quote tweet him and say like, fuck you bitch or something. I think she I, just said little bitch. <laughs> yeah, you're right. yeah. If I'm remembering correctly, it was uh-huh. it wasn't even like a directive. It was just a term. <laughs> just it was a just a little bit, as in look at this little bitch. But yeah. all she said, all she had to say was little bitch. <laughs> yeah, and I think so. So this is worth bringing up too because I think that this Thank is you. in and of itself, I think, emblematic of what boy genius is sort of making fun of constantly, right? So boy genius here. She, I think it's very obvious that they loved Crosby, Stills, and Nash, right? Um, I, If I'm remembering correctly, um, somebody had actually said previous, like a few weeks previous to this, like a few months maybe even previous to this, um, hey, David Crosby, have you listened to Phoebe Bridgers? And he said, no, I'll check her out. And she had like retweeted this and been like, said something like, this is great. Or, you know, I'm excited about this. Like this, I love this. So 
you know, this is something that I think she grew up on and probably has a lot of affection for. And so then she goes on SNL. Um, she wants to break the guitar. They actually set up special effects so that when she hits the monitor, there's sparks that fly that are like, you know, clearly this is like an effect, right? It's not actually that the that the monitor is, is um, sparking. And um, she had said, she had actually asked the company of the guitar that she was using, like, is it okay if I smash one of your guitars? Right. And their response was, I don't think you understand how uh, resilient our guitars are. Not necessarily <laughs> right. well made, but like how durable. like durable our guitars are. And she was like, it'll be fine. And then it like did not break, which was also funny. And she was also clearly thinking that this was funny at the time. But, you know, she does this thing where she's obviously referencing, because plenty of people have smashed guitars before. Mm-hmm. And I would say mostly men have smashed guitars before. And then she does this and here comes an old man, one that she had looked up to, uh, whose main response is, I just don't really see the point of that. I think it's sort of childish. And she was just like, okay, you little bitch. She was like, if anybody, and she had said in interviews too, like, if any other man had done this, Crosby would have had no, no response. He wouldn't have even been on his radar. Um, And I think that that's true, you know? Rest in peace, little bitch. (laughs) Yeah, I like never forgave him for that. And I will say, when I did learn about the album cover thing, I was like, what an even... I mean, I think that Phoebe handled it with grace, by which I mean she was like, (laughs) (laughs) by which I mean she was like, I'm not going to be deeply hurt by this. I think that she could have seen that and been like, this is really hurtful to me. This is somebody that I really looked up to and he is being so sexist and dismissive. And instead, I think she was just sort of like, okay, fuck you then. I don't need to be a fan of you anymore. Uh, yeah, I do respect that. <laughs> More people should be willing to let go of people they're fans of. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the record comes out, and the promo that they did ahead of the record was this other sort of reference to um, another, not a supergroup per se, but another um, really famous photo shoot, which is the cover of Rolling Stone that had um, Nirvana on it. Um and so they recreated the whole photo, the whole photo shoot. So those colorful outfits, that was also part of the Nirvana photo shoot that they were recreating. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the best part, as far as I'm concerned, about the Rolling Stone cover shoot, the, where they're all in their suits. And this is one of my favorite things about them in general, which is that they are all wildly different heights. Mm. Phoebe Bridgers is, I think, a little bit taller than I am. Lucy is very tall, and Julian is very, very short. And so on the cover, they're all standing there, and they're sort of at these very specific heights um, to mirror the way that the Nirvana album, the Nirvana cover was. But in reality, and they also posted pictures of this, they're on box. Lucy, or not Lucy, Phoebe and Julian are on boxes, and Julian's on two boxes. Mm -hmm. And there's even a photo later that they took where... They're holding Julian up between them so that their heads are all level and Julian's feet are like a full foot off of the ground. Mm -hmm. And then they continued to do photo shoots like this. They've continued to do these photo shoots where they play with um, what's expected of them and what um, how they expect to be viewed and and how they're viewing themselves. So they did another one where they were all dressed up in like um, 
uh, Marie Antoinette period piece, like, gowns with, like, their hair in curls. And I think that part of the reason that it's so um, beautiful to me, the way that they're approaching this, is because they both, I think it's, like, a very, they're a little bit younger than we are, but they're still millennials. They're, like, younger millennials, but they're still millennials. And I feel like they really have that millennial sense of humor, which is that, like, um, everything's kind of a joke. And also, there's no way – and but also, like, everything's a joke and everything's not a joke at the exact same time. Yeah. You've articulated something that I am kind of bumping up against a little bit. Okay. When it comes to their persona. Mm-hmm. Like, one way of talking about it is, like, you said, like, oh, everything's, like, a joke and not a joke at the same time. And it's like, okay, you're talking about irony, right? And you're talking about... You're talking about, like, postmodern irony. Sure. You're you're talking about like taking a postmodern approach to we're gonna do this thing and it's like we're doing a parody mm-hmm. because we're doing something that somebody else has already done. Mm-hmm. But at the same time it's not parody mm-hmm. because parody would be for the sake of Ma- ma- making fun of it or mock making a yes. mockery of it but they are doing it as if it were sincerely their own mm-hmm. and part of the reason why i bump up against this a little bit is because it gives me kind of nihilistic thoughts about the culture like asking questions like is this is this all that we have left mm-hmm. which it, the 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 best example it's it's very easy it it's almost a straw man except i didn't have to invent it somebody else did it for me mm-hmm. is is the movie ghostbusters afterlife right mm. is just more more than just all we have left is nostalgia it's like all we have left is iterating on things that have already been done before when we were young or before that Mm -hmm. and presenting it like well we iterated on it so we made it our own so so it goes beyond just nostalgically repeating something Mm -hmm. unfortunately there's just there's just a little bit too much of that. So I in the, will say in the entire culture. I will say that I think that there is a line here between what I'm talking about in terms of the way that they um present themselves and the actual art that they've created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think that um the way that they're presenting themselves is in way is in part a way that they can navigate um a bunch of people that are going to be saying a bunch of shit to them that they don't want to have to keep correcting and so 
I I absolutely agree with you with what you're saying in general. Um, but I think here, you know, for example, they got they they played uh, Coachella, Coachella. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always want to say Coachella. Why do you want to say Coach? Because I don't think because Coachella doesn't make sense to me. It it's would the be word coach and then Ella. No, it, that would be Coach Ella. Not oh, Coachella. Coachella. Coachella, yeah. So Coachella, it... it's pretty close. <laughs> so at Coachella, um, they played no. last week. <laughs> they played last week, and they got interviewed afterwards. And at one point, the interviewer said something to them like, "What do you think about the term rock star?" And Lucy, they're both, they're all just like flying high off of this performance. At one point, they also say, at one point, they're asked like. You know, when have you felt the most like a rock star? And they were like, yeah, I think 10 minutes ago. Um, and they're playing again tonight at 810, by the way. Um, but at one point they said, Lucy's like, you know what? I haven't really investigated the term rock star too much. I think it's just a good word and describes what we are. And Phoebe, I think it was Phoebe, not Julianne, but I think Phoebe says, I mean, it's better than indie darling. And that's what I mean when I say like, there are people coming to them, like part of the reason that Phoebe resisted listening to Julian Baker first, right, is because she says, I just thought we're both queer white women. And that's the only reason we're being compared. And I'm not just a queer white woman. I'm doing my own thing. And so I think that part of the way that they're very smartly presenting themselves in this world is a way to sort of preempt this reaction that they're going to get from people where they're like, People are going to be like, you're women in music, um, which they both, all of them have said, like, is not really a genre, even though it keeps being presented as its own genre. Um, Or like, you know, queer women in music, which is like not a genre um, and yet is presented as a genre. I think that the takeaway from their music and especially this album is that um, the thing that we have is each other and that it's not that we're just calling back you know, it's not that we only have nostalgia or we only have iterations upon iterations. Like, we have each other and the beauty and magic of what we have. And this is what makes them a supergroup is that they can go off and create their own music. And then they can also say, I want to do th- I don't want to have to do this alone anymore. And they can come back together and, and make it together. When When I was reading the Wikipedia page, (laughs) trying to learn more about how they became a group. Mm -hmm. Um, I did really respond to that, like, we're kind of being seen as interchangeable, we're being compared to each other a lot, but also in a way that seems to pit us against each other. And so, yeah, forming a group seemed to be a way of fighting against that, like, either feeling that they might have, or, you know, what people are doing to them in the in the industry yeah and i think also um something that i really love about something that i really love about them coming together and that i i I have cried so many times listening to this album at different parts and i think one of the things that makes me cry the most is that i phoebe especially has been really fucked by the industry a lot obviously she's been really like successful and she's been able to move through it but she's been around these dudes who have treated her really, really badly um, and has had to both get herself out of those situations. Um, If you're looking at Ryan Adams, 
Um, and also, like, figure out how to work through those situations. I mean, Emily, I'm every single one of her albums has a song about how somebody in the industry fucked with her. Um, you know, uh, Motion Sickness, obviously, is about Ryan Adams, um, a hilarious song. Um, but, like, on the record, even, she has Emily, I'm Sorry, which is about her relationship with Emily Bannon and how... Ugh, I mean, we can get into this, but <laughs> basically, Emily and her were in some sort of thruple with this music producer guy. They both left the thruple because the music producer guy was, like, a shitty dude, and he was abusive to Emily, and um, he ended up suing both of them for defamation. Um, and so they had to both... And it was obviously worse for Emily than it was for Phoebe. And so Emily, I'm sorry, is very clearly and blatantly about being in this relationship with somebody when both of you have been hurt. Um, and yet, so both of you are sort of the only ones that understand each other. And yet both of you are also totally siloed inside of your own brains and you don't know how to communicate with the other one. Um, and so I think that part of, yeah, part of like them being able to come together, it's it's like... It's, 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 it's almost like they're coming up to, like, create their own force, like, their own, I don't know, um, to be able to show a way that it could be, mm -hmm. where they've created it themselves in, like, this, this place where there's this, like, um, people that are working together and working with each other instead of competing with one another, and they can do that without these people that have, like, without having to navigate a system that wants to fuck them over. They can Did create you, their own system. I it, It's hard for me to not think about, like, the writing world. Yeah. Um, and maybe positions that we've witnessed or been in or been close to um, as writers who have been in programs where sometimes you're literally pitted against each other. Yeah, literally, um, yeah. Do you, do you think of that when you are thinking about Boy Genius? Like, do you relate to that? Yeah, I do. And I, I, I feel like, um, like, I, I really go out of my way and have gone out of my way for the entire time that I've been, like, actively a writer, which I would say, I would say even started when I was in high school, um, in terms of, like, trying to figure out ways that I'm constantly thinking, like, how can I build up the people around me? Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, I go out of my way when people get a book published to, like, I, this is stupid, but, like, you know, post about the book. But not just post about the book. Like, also, like, say something that's actually meaningful. Like, here's a thing from this book that I loved. Like, here is a, a specific reason why you also might want to read this book. Um, and you know, now I've, I just for the first, I've done, I'm, I've barely dipped my toes into this, but I, um, went to this, the Frederick Book Art Center two weeks ago and I, you know, learned how to use a, pre a press and I letter pressed, um, a tiny little broadside of one of Sarah's, uh, a couplet from our devotee of the pod, Sarah's poem that she got published in Poetry Magazine. I did this as a surprise. Um, and so she didn't know I was doing that, but um, you know, part of the reason I want to be able to learn how to use this letterpress and that I feel grateful that I will have access to it, um, both because, not just because I have access to the physical machine, but also because I'm at a point 
in my life where I have the money, where I can pay for the studio fees, and where I can take time off of work to go on like a Thursday and just work in a studio all day. Something I have not done yet, but I will be doing. And um, that's because like I, what I want to do is I want to be able to print like broadsides for like mm-hmm. the presses that our friends work for. We have friends yeah, that work for yeah. presses and that run presses. Um, and I want to be able to do that essentially at cost where um, – you know, maybe the press is paying me for materials or maybe they're not. Maybe I'm just giving them to them, you know, um, so that they can promote their authors. And, um, you know, I – I, and then I also – you know, I also want to write my own stuff and, and then hopefully, you know, maybe I'll get some of that in return too. But um, I think that that's way more exciting to me than just – I don't know – than being the person who wrote Cat Person – I'm not digging on this person at on that the the person who wrote Cat Person, but like the being the person who wrote Cat Person who has a story go viral and then they get a book published. Like that's less exciting to me than and um, a movie based on Cat Person. There's a movie. Um, that's less exciting to me than you know being able to talk to people. Part of the reason I was so devastated that my book came out at the beginning of the pandemic was not because. I don't know. I like I didn't think I was going to sell books. I didn't think I was going to I wanted to be able to go out into the world and do readings and talk to people about mm-hmm. my writing and talk to them about what they were reading and what they were excited about and for us to all be excited together. And that was the thing that I felt really got stolen from me was this ability to you know be creating community and talking about art together. Um and and it was I just as a note I always need to preface this Mason Jar did amazingly making sure that I still had as much of a big book tour as I could, et cetera, et cetera. Like we did the best we could with the situation. Who gives a shit? There's a million people that are dead. But um, yeah. And I think that Boy Genius is really going out of their way to do that too. I also think it's worth noting that when they, um, when Boy Genius originally went on their tour, their backing band was largely Phoebe's backing band. So like Marshall Vore was playing drums, um, who's her drummer, and uh, Emily Restas or Retsas, Retas. She looks just like Phoebe. Um, they she was playing bass, and they have an entirely different backing band this time, and they're all women. So she's a woman drummer. She is a woman keyboardist, a bassist, and I think another guitar player who's also doing backing vocals. From what I could tell, they were on one of the Jimmys last night, which I just or two a couple nights ago, which I just watched. Um, so you both know that I've done a collaborative project. Yes, um, the classroom. <laughs> Yes, with um, another writer, Melissa, who I I feel like our writing had, it's different, but we had been compared to each other and had we, our lives have very similar trajectories. Yeah. And we both really admired each other's work. And it was such a cool experience to collaborate with another person. Um, And also the time after we published our book was way more fun having another person that you could like talk up yes and it also I, I feel like Melissa is such a good writer and I've been you know jealous of her writing and <laughs> envious of her writing at times and it did feel like I was fighting against that by collaborating with her that's interesting I love that I love the idea that you kill them with kindness as they say but them in this case being your feelings of jealousy <laughs> Yeah, and, and jealousy, I think, in the in, in like a nice way, though. Well, I I feel like I encountered this in grad school a lot too, where it was hard not to be 
jealous of it my, was really hard my... not to be jealous in grad school for us because in the third year there were th- four people that got a fellowship where they didn't have to teach and it was really hard not to be jealous of those people when you had to sit there and work essentially work full-time Fortunately, my program didn't have that. <laughs> we were all <laughs> paid equally and given, you know, equal um, TA ships uh, for the most part. But we also got paid different amounts. Which we learned about. So I got paid ten thousand dollars a year, and I had some friends that I learned later got fourteen thousand dollars a year. So not a, not a small amount difference, like forty percent difference. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is that, like, I I like this concerted effort to be like no we are not going to be pitted against each other we're going to come together and make something even more powerful yes yeah and so i think this is a good segue to talk about um how i think that they're different and how i think that they're strong together um let's see what order do we want to go into i let's talk about their songwriting styles first off so so, well, I guess that is the whole thing to talk about. Let's talk about their structure first. So when you look at Phoebe versus Lucy, or actually let's go Lucy versus Phoebe versus Julian, they have pretty wide ranges of the way that they structure their songs. Um, and this is, of course, not true for every single song, but I think in general you can sort of say these things. Lucy is a really, really big storyteller. So Lucy tends to have pretty... Um, insular narrative arcs in her songs um where you can really get a sense of like character and sort of movement of those characters within a single song and lucy also uses choruses um in a way that is really um i I guess normal would be the way like she uses a chorus the way you would expect a chorus there's words and melodies that come up and then they come up again later in the song. And maybe even a third time. Um, and for that reason, like, she for a very long time, I learned, was actually, because it was just her and her guitar for a lot of it, was being, like, essentially advertised as, like, country light. Like, something, like, adjacent to country. Um, and she hated that. <laughs> um, then you look at Phoebe and she does have choruses but most of the time not every time but most of the time the lyrics actually change between the choruses so even though you have that melodic um set of information that is repeated like one for one for the most part the lyrics themselves will either change dramatically or they'll change um they'll be sort of a mirror and Phoebe liking to mirror things um, really shows up on the record in a way, in a big way that we'll talk about. And so for her, she is very self-aware of everything she's ever written before. And Phoebe also, this is the one insight I have to her songwriting process. Phoebe writes really, really slowly. So she has said that she will write like a line and then like maybe not write another line for a week or two weeks. So she's not going to sit there and draft and then revise. She's pretty much like sitting there waiting to make sure that she has the next line right. Um, Obviously, I think she does do some revision and and stuff like that. But she's not like doing sort of large drafts of her lyrics. And so because of that, her songs too have a lot of detail. And they very often focus on really mundane details. Um, But they also end up feeling like little vignettes. Because 
if she sort of runs out of something to write about and she's waiting two weeks, if something else comes up, she just sort of puts that in there. Um, and so the song, the lyrics will be, obviously it's, you know, all related and it's all within the song, but you'll have sort of moments in songs that feel, um, like if you really look at them closely, it's like, you can really see how you sort of start in one place and then there's like, you're in another place and then you're in another place. Yeah. That's funny. Um, cause I, I read something a while ago, like right after Punisher came out where she was kind of breaking apart where her lyrics came yeah. from and basically every line of the song, um, it was like, oh, yeah, that's uh, a reference to this one tour I was on. And yes. then this one was a reference to this, like, one moment we were in Texas. Uh, yeah, she can really annotate, like, almost word for word exactly where every single one of her lyrics has come from. Um, and a lot of them really are, like, she, Lu- Phoebe is also very funny. So a lot of her songs are, you know, obviously they're very meaningful and, um, and you know, quote-unquote sad but also she's really funny and she's really um making a lot of jokes um and sort of using i think that joke format to show the starkness of the thing that she's really sort of getting at emotionally with a song um i heard her say recently she she's friends with this band sloppy jane they went to high school together and the lead singer of sloppy she was in sloppy jane very briefly as the bassist and i guess did a terrible job (laughs) um but she's toured with Sloppy Jane um, more recently, too. And I guess she said that the lead singer of Sloppy Jane said to her once, like, Phoebe, your, your best ideas are your jokes. Like, your best ideas are the things that you're like, hey, wouldn't it be hilarious if blank? And so Phoebe really took that to heart. And that, and I think it you can really see that reflected in a lot of the way that she's talking about things um, in her songs. Um, and then you have Julian, who... You know, on her first two albums, it was very, very heavily acoustic, um, very ambient, and again, these sort of like big swells of music. But Julian, I for the most part, doesn't have choruses, which is weird. <laughs> and songs without choruses actually very specifically comes up on the record. Um, we'll talk about that when we get to it. Um, but so you have Julian who doesn't have choruses. And then if you're looking at the actual, like, subject matter of those songs, um, Lucy is writing a lot about, um, at least I think sort of most recently, this is maybe a little bit reductive, but Lucy's writing a lot about, like, self-discovery and girlhood slash into womanhood, nostalgia, but in the sense of, like, um, trying to figure out, like, where you came from and where you're going, She's also, she also, you know, she has that song VBS about Vacation Bible School. So she's also talking, like, investigating sort of the self and the way that, and as we've already been talking about, like, the way that the self is reflected in um, the way other people view you. Like, the way that you're reflected in what people believe about you. Phoebe is writing a lot about her sort of headspace. So she's writing a lot about, like, being depressed um you know very famously jesus christ i'm so blue all the time and that's just how i feel i i always have and i always will um from funeral um and also then these relationships that she's had where there's just always that some there's always something a little bit not right right so like she's like in a you know breaking up with her there's so many songs about her breaking up with marshall vore 
Scott Street is about my about Marshall Vore. Uh, ICU is about Marshall Vore. A bunch of songs are about Marshall Vore. <laughs> um, and about how she is trying to navigate, I think, having like clinical depression and then being this person in the world that's also trying to find out who she is and what she wants. Um, which will come up in the record. And then Julian was raised very religiously and has a lot of religious trauma. <laughs> and so a lot of her songs, like I said, are very much like, and oh, and, and Julian also has had really serious addiction uh, issues where she was like, do she um, had a bunch of like in high school, like was dealing, having problems with addiction and sobriety. Um, then was straight edge for a while because she had come from this, like, you know, she was coming out of being, like, I think an alcoholic, essentially. Um, but she's relapsed, and she relapsed in 20, as recently as 2019. Um, and Julian, or, and Phoebe and, um, Lucy have both written songs about Julian. So, like, Graceland 2 is about Julian getting out of rehab. And, oh, I, I went to write this down. Um... Let me look at her track listing. I know it was on home videos. Graceland 2 is another one of my favorites from from Punisher. It's it's so lovely and beautiful. And they sing on that, too. Um, Julian and Phoebe and uh, Lucy sing on that. Please Stay on home videos um, is about Julian. So they're also very obviously, like, moved by <laughs> the shit that Julian's gone through. Um Julian's also also all of the women as a note um they're all they're all queer women um Lucy and I actually take this back Phoebe identifies as bisexual Lucy actually put out an essay that was sort of like I feel weird that I have to come out that I'm coming out but I also feel like I probably should say like very explicitly that I'm queer um Lucy identifies as bi or pansexual. She feels good with either one of those terms, if I'm remembering correctly. And then Julian is just gay. She's a lesbian. Um, Julian, by the way, came out... Ju- Julian came out when she was, like, 15. And there's this story um, that she's told about. She came out to her dad and was, like, weeping. And was like, I'm going to hell! And her dad pulled out this giant Bible and for an hour was like, this is where God says he loves you. This is where God says he likes you just the way you are. This is where God says... Uh, you know, not, this isn't a mistake and that you're you're loved no matter what and I love you no matter what. And she just was like so shocked because she had had friends that had been sent to conversion therapy and her family was just radically accepting and she had no idea that they were going to react that way. I mean, I think she must have had some idea if she felt comfortable enough to tell them and didn't think that she was going to get like murdered or something. But so Julian's writing a lot about um that. And so when you're looking at the record – what you get is you get these different modes of songwriting interweaving with each other. And then on top of that, you get this candy, which is essentially the the joy of them being able to harmonize with one another. Um, and this is also part of the reason why I think that their live songs are more representative of what like what like the true version of the song is than the record than the recorded version, because Getting to hear them harmonize live, even it's even if it's a recording of them live, um, is sort of unreal. It's sort of unlike anything else that you can get from any other band right now. Um, 
they are so in tune to one another. They're so on top of it. And they are so tight. Like every single thing they do is super tight. Well, that, that made me think of something that like when I listen to Boy Genius, like one of the reasons that um like, oh, okay, this is like really, this really feels for my brain. Yeah. Um, is that I've never fully gone into folk music, but I feel like I've been close to getting into folk music. Um, like there were a couple of bands in high school I liked, um, like Nickel Creek. And when I was in grad school, my friend Lakshmi would bring me to some like local, um, like folk yeah. music bands. Um, and I really liked seeing them perform and I would try listening to the albums and I, I just like couldn't really get into it. Yes. Um, but I feel like they are pulling from that genre or doing things that I like from that genre, but in a way where... It, it works for me more. Yeah, I have I have sort of a weird relationship with folk in the sense that like, you know, one of my favorite, my favorite band is folk rock. It's Roof Beams is folk rock. But yeah, I think that folk is very much sort of found like methodolog, methyl, methodol, you know what I mean? And also like functionally what Boy Genius is doing, which is that like, um, I think folk music is better experienced live. I think that mm-hmm. there's, but I think part of that is because so much of folk music is about this creation of community. That's, you know, where you get the idea of like folklore, folk tales. And very often when you go to sort of folk fests, so much of that experience is not just seeing people perform, but very often there's sing-alongs, there's participation, um, there's, you know, dancing on some level. And so that feels like what you were saying. Yeah, that's exactly boy genius, right? So they're not exactly doing every single aspect of folk. You know, there's a banjo every so often. But um, they're like doing this thing where they're very much about the play between the members being very active and engaged and then also again this sense of like community and building and growing each other yeah you you feel like the joy that goes into it and like the fun that they're having performing together and then there's also the aspect of storytelling yes and songs that sort of progress and change as they go through you like end somewhere differently than you began yes now I can bring my own biases to the conversation uh-huh. and offer a suggestion that there is a context for folk songs, which I think is even better Ooh, yeah? than either what you're talking about, recorded versions on the album or live performance. Mm-hmm. And that is they are soundtrack songs. Oh, yes. Best place to hear a folk song mm-hmm. is in a movie. Or even a video game. Like, I have a short playlist of folk songs. I I assume that they are like old traditional songs. And Mm -hmm. if they are actually more contemporary, then they are a throwback to that. But I only, I would, I would never listen to them except that they were all in the video game Kentucky Route Zero. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I love and appreciate those songs now. Because they started out as soundtrack to uh, another art art form that I uh, have this great emotional attachment to. So do you feel like you appreciate these songs so much because your emotions Mm -hmm. in the game, or it's all tied together? Right, because it evokes, yeah, the songs evoke 
the feelings that I associate with the the their origin for me, the context in which I was exposed to them. Yeah, I mean, that's the, I don't know a lot about folk music, so I might be uh, wrong, but I, I feel like folk songs, this tradition seems tied to, like, you would hear these at an event. They mm-hmm. weren't just songs you would listen to, you would listen to them in a context. Yeah, um, like a fair or a festival or a, an event. A yeah. dance, or, and that seems sort of simulated by hearing them, you know, as part of the video game soundtrack. Yeah, the songs, um, particularly the songs with vocals in the game Kentucky Route Zero are like around the campfire. Yeah. Like banjo and guitar songs, you know. This is a... Um... And, and and just to say specifically, what's the name of the last song on the EP? Is it, It's like... Ketchum, Ketchum, Idaho. Ketchum, Idaho. Right. Yeah. I hear that song and I'm like, well, I don't, I don't particularly want to repeat, listen to this song, but it has the power of like an old traditional folk song. Yeah. And And if, and if the first place I heard this was not the EP where it kind of stands on its own. But if the first place I heard it was like the credits to a movie I loved or in the middle of Kentucky Route Zero, yeah. then I might repeat listen to it a lot. And that is what that is the song that I think um was maybe I don't want to I don't think it's my favorite song on the EP, but if I could pick one song to hear them play live, like if they were in my living room, I would be like, oh, would you please play Catchem Idaho for me? Because it is the song that I think proved without a doubt their technical mastery. Mm-hmm. And the song that um, everybody is just sort of breathless during any time they, they perform it live. Because um, they just do it. I think Julian plays guitar and they stand around one microphone. Um, when they perf- So they did, they've started their tour, the tour, um, which of course has a few um, interruptions to it. So their tour, <laughs> side note about their tour. Their tour, touring schedule coming up is sort of broken up into a couple of things because there's the tour and then they're also touring with this sort of traveling festival called the Reset Festival and that's who I'm going to see them with in June Um, where it's like a three-day festival and you can either buy tickets for one day or all three days but it's like only in the like afternoon into evening so I'm going to be seeing them with I think Barty Strange and Claro and someone else. Can I take this moment to acknowledge why we're not doing this episode in June? Yes, please. When you when you said you wanted to do a Boy Genius episode, we had a few texts back and forth. You told me when you were seeing them live was June. Yeah. And so it seemed natural that we should either do this episode now, because the record just came out, or in June when you've already seen them live. Mm-hmm. And the reason we're not doing it in June... Is because Asteroid City comes out in June. Wes Anderson! Yes. (laughs) Oh, I thought Uh, it was going to be because we're going on a trip in June. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also the reason we aren't seeing Boy Genius. I think maybe we would, but we will be out of the country. Yeah, I'm so excited for that to happen for you too. Dijon is the other person. So I know Claro a little bit. I know Barty Strange a little bit. I don't know Dijon. Um, But Boy Genius is headlining. And then also, they're playing Coachella these past two weekends. 
And then also, I think next weekend, Phoebe is doing a couple of openings for Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. So she'll be doing that without the boys, so to speak. But it is a little bit weird because it's not just like one tour. It's like sort of two tours and then some other things <laughs> that mm -hmm. you couldn't just easily jump on. Oh, yes. So I sort of just want to go through the arc of this album because I think there's a lot to say and I don't, I'm not going to say everything, but I think that it's sort of, I think that by going through a lot of it, we can sort of see how these sort of three masterminds have come together into making this album, which I think is like a no skip album, like very cohesive. And also gives us a little bit of a sense, too, into where each of their heads are for these songs, if that makes sense. Okay, so the album starts with Without You, Without Them. And I think that, I, you know, I know, Will, you were saying that the Lucy songs are your favorite on this album. I feel like the Lucy songs on this, albums are, are, on this album are kind of like, man, I love my friends. <laughs> yeah, I, I, love, I love that aspect of her songs. <laughs> um, without You, Without Them starts with, um this totally acapella it's a really short song very very folk centric song where they're really heavily wor working on their um vocals um that i would i i know it's all three of them but i really do count it as a lucy song mm -hmm. um basically saying like where would i be without you or without them like i want us to be in this together i want us to be part to i want to know your life and also be a part of it um and as you know they do something really beautiful on the vinyl of this that they don't do, which is that they have it perfectly meld into the beginning of $20, um, which is one of two sort of uh, little bonuses you get from the vinyl that you don't get from the digital version or the CD. You go into $20. This is a Julian song. Um, this song is so bouncy and fun and I think it's also really fun because it's really focusing uh, – Julian's from Tennessee, and it's really focusing on Julian's sort of upbringing as, like, being a kid that's out and about just, like, fucking around in the uh, world, so to speak. Um, could I say something about this one? Please. Um, I like the end. I like how you hear Lucy Dacus saying, can you give me $20 or, you know, uh, I can't remember if that's her yeah. exact lyric, but in, you know, her, her way. And then it ends with Phoebe Bridgers just screaming. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the video of her recording that? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a video of, um, Phoebe recording that, that, that Lucy took. And for a brief moment, Lucy flips the camera to herself and is just go like has her hand to her mouth like oh my god <laughs> yeah I, I feel like it it's like these these are the three personalities yeah <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. three ways that this song could be sung um we then get emily i'm sorry which is a phoebe led song and this is a song this is again this is that song about emily i mean it, it's about emily bannon Who's, I can, I'm not going to say it's not about Emily Bannon. It's got to be about Emily Bannon. Um, and yeah, is really devastating. And I think also, um, you know, all of these women are queer and Bridgers has written, you know, despite Phoebe being queer and having had relationships with women, all of her really public relationships have been with men. Um, it's been Ryan Adams. It's been Marshall Vore. It's been Paul, Paul Mescal. 
And um, I, I, I think that she's still amicable with Emily and it seemed based on like interactions they've had on the internet, which is, you know, not to say, I don't think it really blew up in a way that was unreconcilable or something, but, um, and I, and I just, I have to imagine that Phoebe said to Emily Bannon, people are going to know the song is about you. And Emily was like, that's fine. I just have to imagine that that's what happened. Um, but I really appreciate this song about Phoebe in a relationship with a woman just because, um, so much of her songs have been about these men that have just been like not good to her <laughs> um and i think paul even shows up on one of these songs uh in at least a very small way which we'll get to um the, this is a, a great song and maybe my favorite part of the film and yes uh, i think i first heard this song when i was watching that music video and mm-hmm. uh it's one of those where I kind of like the song more maybe because I have that visual to go along with it. Yeah. And so in the film, so the film of course is, <clears throat> I mean, it, I, maybe not, of course, maybe you're like, I've never heard of this band. Um, they made Kristen Stewart, uh, famously gay, um, wrote, made a made triptych, her. triptych of music videos, directed a triptych of music videos for $20, Emily, I'm sorry. And true blue. Um, the conceit of which is, I think, I think the conceit of which is that, like, each of them are essentially dreaming um, through their own song and then wake up together in bed. Um, and it's so cute. Um, and the Phoebe, the Emily I'm Sorry music video um, is Phoebe standing in front of some, of a tr- of the truck that they just like- got going in $20 and the toddler car bed that Julian was sleeping in in $20 while monster trucks are just in slow motion uh, going on behind her. And then they set everything on fire. Yeah, I really like that part at the end where um, one of them like lights the, the match for her and yes! the other one... I can't remember hands it to her. Yeah, I, I think, think it just looks cool. It looks cool. I apparently it was freezing that day. Oh, it's also worth noting that they um for not strong enough, they filmed everything for that music video just like on their iPhones. And if you rewatch it now, you can see that there are clips from when they were filming the film in the not strong enough music video. True Blue is Lucy's song. And yeah, this is like a song about I, I am like I, I guess I don't need to know. I probably don't know who this person is. But True Blue is very clearly about somebody that is not Julian or Phoebe because she says that her birthday was in July of 95 and neither of them were born in July of 95. It's okay um, to invent things. What? Because they sound good. That's true. Uh, I will say in general, though, they ha- they tend to... I will say in general... Phoebe, Lucy, and Julian seem to not invent things in their music. Maybe they bend the truth a little bit, but usually when they have really specific details like that, it has come out where they've been like, oh, yes, explicit reference, explicit memory. Yeah, and in that music video, Lucy makes out with Phoebe and Julian. Give the people what they want, they said. And they also paint a room entirely blue. So also, I think this is a great time to say that I have figured out my um, Halloween costume for this year. You're going to be a blue wall. I'm going to be boy genius. All three of them. (laughs) I'm going to 
wear a collective version of their outfits from the film. <laughs> so I'm going to get, I'm going to wear my black boots that I wore to officiate your wedding. I'm going to wear the blue boxers that, um, the blue striped boxers that Phoebe wears. I'm going to wear a blue, oh, cream sweater with the like blue paint on it. And then I'm going to get a, um, a little construction vest and maybe a little cross. And I'm going to be all of boy genius. <laughs> We're happy for you. <laughs> I'm glad that I figured this out once again in April. <laughs> um, Cool About It is one of their shared songs. And this one is Banjo Forward. And I love that they give us this little, like, uh, I love that they give us these moments of, um, this, like, very clearly folk-centric song, like, po- like, uh, like it feels like a breath of fresh air amongst their more, like, heavily produced tracks. I'm not saying that the heavily produced tracks are, like, too much or something like that, but I appreciate that when we're looking at the sort of arc of the album, we get Without You Without Them, we get the sort of triptych that they put out, and then we get Cool About It, um, which feels like a nice little breath of fresh air with the banjo happening. So Cool About It comes at an interesting point in the album because before I listened to the record, I had seen the film. Mm -hmm. And listening to the record, I was like, oh, I recognize that these are the three songs in the same order from the film. And now this song has to follow that. Mm -hmm. So you said Cool About It is banjo forward, which is true. But isn't it more than that, something else forward? And I'm not talking about another instrument. Talking about another song. It's boxer forward. Oh, yeah. Okay. So uh, this, I put the vinyl, I put the record on. Mm-hmm. I was in another room. Mm-hmm. This song started. I thought, huh. They, they did a cover of the boxer <laughs> by Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. And the lyric started, and I was like, huh. They didn't. <laughs> So I picked up the album and uh-huh. saw that it was called Cool About It. And then I opened it up. And do you know what else I saw? That Paul Simon is credited as inspiration for Cool it About says, It. It says, thank you to Paul Simon for inspiration for Cool About It. Yeah. What do you think about this? I love it. Mm-hmm. But I also, I am a big person. I am a person that loves, um, like when my book came out, I have a whole annotated copy word document of my book um where i made sure that i like have every little reference and every little thing that i'm drawing from i i think that um i think that it goes back to that community building thing that i was talking about where um obviously we're all like informed by the things that came before us you know in general but um i like the idea that you can love something so much and then just put it in your own thing and then have it become its own thing, even if it has this like very specific, uh, explicit root, I guess. Just a little more context for not only what I'm saying, but me being the one saying it. Uh-huh. It takes a lot for me to. Uh, draw that type of connection and come yes. to that type of conclusion. That's true. Yes, you've you've said before that you don't always hear I musical don't understand inter- interpolations a lot. Samples. Yeah. I yeah. think I've brought up on the podcast before 
Kirby Ferguson's Everything is a Remix, which Uh is a four-part video essay. And the first part is all about music samples and musicians using samples of other songs. Yeah. And it's kind of boring to watch, in my opinion. It's strings, you know, one after the other after the other. Listen to this song and now listen to this song. Yeah. You know, clips of each. And it's like, oh, you're supposed to. I don't hear it at all. I don't. Yeah. Und- I I hear the two songs side by side, and I do not understand what they are supposed to have in common. Mm-hmm. So when this song came on, and I was like, "This is just the boxer by Simon <laughs> Garfunkel." You're proud of yourself. Well, a little bit, yeah. You should but, be. But you, also, you were excited to tell me when I came home. Okay, this is the Smug Buds, after all. Yeah, so that's my uh, primary smugness contribution to the conversation, I suppose. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I just think it's good. You know, it was so funny too, because today in terms of everything is a remix and remixes, I heard a song on the radio and I was like, oh God, this isn't, this isn't what I know this from. This is the original song. But what I know this from is from Girl Talk. Do you remember Girl Mm. Talk? Yes, I do. Um... The first, like, maybe the second, the first Girl Talk album, which we listened to, I listened to with this all the time in college, and we would just dance to it. Um, There was a bunch of songs on that album that I hadn't heard of, except for through that album, and now I have this weird relationship where I hear the original song, and I think, oh, this is that Girl Talk song. No, it's not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's what it's like to watch the Venture Brothers when you were born in 1990. (laughs) And you just see references stacked on references stacked on references. And then for years, you watch an older movie that you never saw before and you go, oh, that's what that was from. Yeah. They were referencing Dune. (laughs) They were referencing Dune. Oh, what a good, what a definitely weird one to realize. For example. Not Strong Enough is a bop. This, I think, is sort of the, I mean, it's, I understand why they released the triptych first, right? Because it, it is like a mixture of like, they do have songs where they lead or they don't lead. Um, but Not Strong Enough is like, very obviously, the single. It's a bop. Um, it is doing that sort of gender play thing, because the whole chorus is, I'm not strong enough to be your man. Um, they are doing, and this is, I think, a great example, too, of like, them coming together um let me bring up the lyrics to this really quick um because they do the they do the phoebe thing lyric with the chorus where the chorus changes every time they sing it um and they come into it in different ways um and also i think that um when you're looking at the lyrics that they sing to um you get a little bit of a sense of their own songwriting styles um I think that this especially happens in, oh, which one is that from the EP? There's a song on the EP where each of them have their own verse, and the Julian verse is basically like, but you really get a sense of what each of them care about in terms of songwriting, because the Julian verse is basically just like, am I even good enough for anybody? And then <laughs> like the other two verses are just like, not whatever, but they're just like so much like lighter. There's a part of this song that you have on your t-shirt that you're wearing right now. Always an angel, never a god. Yes. And that is not only a line in the song, but a line that is repeated over and over again. 
Mm-hmm. And that is something that I am just going to have to get used to. Um, you don't like it? No, I don't. I'm Why? sure. Why? The line or the repetition? Um, the line. And then the repetition makes it worse because I don't like the line to begin with. Why? <laughs> I, I, I do. I, I do agree with Will on this one. That's great. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad you like it, Liz. But I, it is a, just a sentiment that is familiar to me to the point of being obvious. And I do think if I hear a line it, on an album mm-hmm. that is like this big, you know, it's so popular at this moment. And I have the thought, this could easily be a line from one friend of mine's poetry. Uh I feel like something has gone wrong if I'm like, I've heard this before and it's in in the the work of my close friend who writes poems. I think you know who I mean. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know. I, I like that it builds... I like that we get to hear them doing their harmonies in different ways, but without it being in that sort of rooted folk, sort of like acapella space. Yeah, I think uh, um, I think it sounds really good outside of the words that they're saying to me. It's it's not an issue that I have with the sound, the way the song sounds, but just uh-huh. those words. And I like the song. I just don't like that part of the song because of the purely just because of the content of that line, the words, not the sonic quality. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think I will probably continue to listen to it and I will probably get over it. And maybe one day I will come around to even liking it. Yeah. Maybe I... one day you'll hear it and it'll be familiar and you'll be like, Oh, I like this now. Yeah. Dana. Yeah, I really like, musically, I really like the part of the song where they say, I don't know why I am the way I am. Yeah. Um, this is a song where when I first heard it, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this one. And then that's just a part of the music that, that really gets me. Yeah, Lucy coming in after that is um, striking. It's striking. And I think I, I think also, too, I know I was saying that like Lucy's very often, because she's the 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 alto of the group and so she's very often that sort of stable line i love that she has this part where she really gets to like um push through and rise above all of their voices um because that's not usually what happens um i do like the line always an angel never god i mean again i think it's like um i think it's thematic to what they're talking about as being these like women in the music industry um Mm. too um like the idea that you're viewed as something sort of like maybe precious and delicate, but never something worthy of God status. Yeah. I I also thought of our, our friend's poem, but I think our friend's words are, are really good. And this seems like the more boring version. <laughs> right. Yes. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I, don't... I just want to clarify that. I think that's uh part of what we're responding to and yes I think-, I think that my friend's poetry has surpassed this lyric <laughs> doing a very similar thing but but that's fair doing it better and going beyond it there is um there is also a oh let me i think it's an anti-curse where i'm going ahead now but there is a line and i think anti-curse um no maybe it's in actually i think it's in not strong enough maybe i'm wrong where it's very similar to a Liz line of poetry. And I was like, 
Um, oh, hell yeah. Have you guys read my book? <laughs> yes. Um, it's, it's Julian's chorus that she leads. But I have a line about um, closing your eyes and counting and trying to imagine yourself, imagining yourself as a perfect circle. And in this song, they have, she says, in Julian's chorus, she says, half a mind that just keeps the other, ha- the other second guessing, close my eyes and count. I was like, oh, yeah, you've been listening to my, reading my books. Books. Book, singular. Um, that's so funny. I And, yeah, I think that, um, I mean, obviously they knew that Always an Angel, Never a God was going to be, like, a big um, line. And when I bought this shirt, I had not heard the song yet. Because when I bought this shirt, Not Strong Enough wasn't out yet. I just bought it because it looked cool. (laughs) Revolution Zero, I will say, is probably my least favorite song on the album. I always, like, forget about it. Does that make sense? It's not even that I don't like it or anything or there's anything that bothers me about it. I just, like, I can't ever bring anything to mind when I hear this song. It's not sticking with you. Yeah. It's not sticking with yeah, me. I yeah, I don't remember what the song is either, so. It's a Phoebe song. And let me see if I can find the lyrics. That's okay. Um, I just want to see how it starts. Oh, yeah, it's the one that starts Imaginary Friend. Yeah, it's just, it's fine. I mean, the song is fine. Maybe I'll I'll have a moment where... I will return to the song and it'll sort of suddenly stick out to me again. Um, Leonard Cohen is another one of those um, Lucy Loves Her Friend songs. (laughs) But I wanted to specifically talk about this song where she talks about how um, her friend missed the exit and so they went the wrong direction for too long. And she has said that um, that was specifically Phoebe that did that. And the thing that they were talking about was Phoebe, they were talking about songs that don't have choruses. And Phoebe was like, if you love me, you'll listen to the song. And so she was, they were listening to the song and going on about it. Um, and so I think it's very funny that this thing that I've sort of pinpointed as being very specific to Julian was something that they were in fact also talking about. Um, and then in that, in, that in itself became its own song. Um, yeah. When, when, when I say that the Lucy Forward songs are the standouts on the record to me, I mean True Blue and then this one, yeah. Leonard Cohen, are mainly what I'm responding to and what's sticking to me. Um, I also thought the line, I never thought you'd happen to me, that's, the, that's one of those lines that sometimes when I'm listening to this, I just start crying because I start thinking about my friends that I love so much. I also, I just was so lonely when I was a kid, you know? And I just, I just didn't think that I would ever have friends. And the fact that I have friends now, really. We love you too, Liz. (laughs) I just really love you guys. We love you too. I didn't think I would have friends. And the fact that I do is just quite crazy to me. So something that I have found out on TikTok, which I was surprised by is I think Satanist is like a bop. It's fine. But people love Satanist. That's like apparently a lot of people's number ones. And I Mm. never would have guessed that. That's cool. I do love, I do love that each of, that song also feels like very funny to me. And it's it's obviously extremely funny that Julian starts by singing, will you be a Satanist with me when she has this like huge, you know, she wear, she, she unironically wears a cross. (laughs) So, (laughs) um 
It also includes one of my favorite Lucy lines, which is, if nothing matters, man, that's a relief. And then she has a line that I think is so funny. It's one of those lines that is like, um, it feels so specific, like the fact that she fit it into a song where she's like, Solomon had a point when he wrote Ecclesiastes. I'm like, oh my God, how did you fit the word Ecclesiastes into meter? We're in love, another Lucy loves her friend song. <laughs> also, and so once we get past Satanists, now we're having three songs that are each songs of the individuals. And so we get each of their last sort of moments. Um, we're in love is um, Lucy's. And that's, again, just like a really lovely sort of slow song that I really appreciate. Um, we then get Anti-Curse by Baker, which um, I had a revelation about last night. Um, which she has at the beginning of that song that she's out of her depth at a public beach, which I took to mean for a very long time. And I think that this is still a reasonable interpretation. Like she's uncomfortable. Um, you know, she's maybe in a sort of, you know, more vulnerable state with her body where she sort of has to be in a bathing suit. Bathing suits aren't really like, you know, as, as an LHB, as we've discussed, bathing, women's bathing suits oftentimes don't fit. Um, in with her sort of mindset about what her body is and how she should be presenting it. I did realize it might just be that she's short. And so the water got deep really quick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we get letters to an old poet. It ends on a Phoebe song. And I think that this is, this is one of those songs where it's like, this is where Phoebe Bridgers shines. This is where Phoebe Bridgers um does some of her best work um and this song is also i wish if this is one of those songs that i wish i could listen to the, for the first time over and over again um so let me back up very slightly I have, Emily, I have some good news for you if you want to hear the song over and over again <laughs> talk do you do you want to explain what happens on the vinyl yeah i i, I thought i thought i thought it was broken <laughs> did you really think it was broken i thought it was we we listened to the song separately i yes. listened to it and i thought it was broken and then will listened to it while i was at work yeah this, he thought it was broken <laughs> that we we've been talking quite a long time and I don't want to open up any new cans of worms but if we had more time then perhaps I would open one that is about we got a record player kind of recently I think yeah. we've already talked about it on the podcast or a stream and so we bought some vinyl and all the vinyl that we bought is new <laughs> and sometimes a record skips yeah even though my record player is brand new and the record is brand new and uh yeah just figured that that was happening. But nope, it's how the song ends. It's a locked track is what it's called. I thought it was called a locked groove. A locked groove. Sorry, that's correct. Um, yeah, so the very last of waiting gets pulled out indefinitely. And I actually have, um, once we sort of move through the song, because I, I do want to talk about the song, um, I'll explain why I actually think. I, I think that there's something, I think they did something really beautiful with that locked groove. Um, beyond it just being sort of a quirk of the vinyl. But in Emily, I'm sorry, she says, I'm 27 and I don't know um, who I am, but I know what I want. And I see that as being a direct call back to ICU where she says, um, I don't know what I want until I fuck it up. And so 
for Phoebe, I think that something really beautiful happening on the record is that I think one could argue through this community and this kinship she's formed with Julian and Lucy, she's able to have some stability and some growth where maybe she doesn't, if you're like her persona as a lyricist, doesn't necessarily know um, who she is yet, but she now has a sense of what she wants or she has a sense of maybe I can't know what's going to happen, but at least I feel stable right now. I feel grounded. And that comes up also on Letters to an Old Poet. So Letters to an Old Poet um, is about this relationship she has where she realizes through the telling of the lyrics that um, the relationship is not nearly as important or meaningful as she maybe thought it was when she entered into it. Um, I also think, I think this is speculating, but I, I do think that one of these lines must be about Paul Mescal. Um, because as we know, she had an abortion um, in October of 2021 when Roe v. Wade was overturned. She said, I had an abortion. Everybody should be able to have an abortion. Um, but she has this line where she says, um, you think you're a good person because you won't punch me in the stomach. Basically this idea that like, you think that because you aren't abusive, that makes you a good person. But like, Phoebe then is setting the bar higher than that now. So now she's got this level of growth where she's like, I understand that being a good person isn't simply not being abusive. You have to be even better than that. Um, and as you move through the song, she also has just the best, maybe one of the best lines ever. One of those, there's a lot of stuff in songs that I've been listening to recently that I'm like, if I had had this when I was younger, it would have helped me. And so I'm really glad that younger people get it, which is the line, um, when she says, you made me feel like an equal, but I'm better than you and you should know that by now. Um, so I'm listening to the song for the first time and she's moving through these steps where she's sort of like at each turn, at each line, it's like she's revealing something new. Like she's sort of like, it's like another petal is opening for her like growing in strength. Um, and then right before the part where I started uncontrollably sobbing, you start to get a little bit of these interpolations of me and my dog. And it's just in the, it's just in like the piano that's playing. You can start to sort of hear. And I think when you, when I heard it for the first time, I sort of subconsciously, it felt familiar to me. The melody from me and my dog, which was from their first album, their first EP. And in me and my dog, that song ends um, with, I want to be emaciated. I want to um, hear one song without thinking of you. I wish I was on a spaceship, just me and my dog and an impossible view. I dream about it and wake up falling. Um, we get to this part where we're sort of teasing at me and my dog. And then she sings, I want to be in the exact same little upswing of notes. And then instead of the emaciated, she says happy. And I lost my shit because she's taken this thing that I'm completely familiar with and she's been moving me, you know, she's been opening this pedal of it's not just that we get to be neutral. We have to be good. We have to be more like this relationship has to be more than just, um, us not, not fighting all the time. Yeah. Like I deserve more than that. And then she sings, I want to be happy. And I learned later that when she was writing this part, she didn't know what to put there. 
And Lucy said to her, happy. What you want to be is happy. Um, and then the rest of the song is a sort of sonic mirror to the rest, to the end of me and my dog. Um, where again, it's not, it, she's doing the same thing that she does sometimes in choruses where the lyrics are, the melody's the same, but the lyrics are different, except she's doing it across these two songs from these two very, these albums that are five years apart from one another. Um, and it goes from, I want to be happy, um, I'm ready. And she does this beautiful thing where the I'm ready both goes with the I want to be happy, I'm ready, and then very clearly with the next line, which is, I'm ready to walk into my room without looking for you. I'll go up to the top of our building and remember my dog when I see the full moon. Because her, do her dog from that time, from five years ago, died. And it's so it's not just that. And it's also, it's so beautiful, too, because it's like, you know, in the first song, she wants to be just like off the earth. She's like, I want to be with my dog who loves me unconditionally. And I want to be totally separate from all of this, all of humanity, right? And now she's in, she's completely reversed her position where she's in a place to witness the moon and like sort of witness sort of like the beauty, like the beauty, existential beauty of nature, but in a way that is incredibly grounded and stable. And, um, and also to be able to acknowledge her own grief, like she can remember her dog instead of, and, and feel like I think some happiness and peace there. And then she ends with, I can't feel it yet, but I'm waiting. And the waiting is where the locked groove comes in. And something I read, which really resonated with me, and I think why it's a good, you well, two things. I think that if they're going to, I think that the fact that they put out a vinyl, I think it's really interesting and smart and good that they went out of their ways to address the conventions of a vinyl, if that makes sense. Like the physical medium of a vinyl in a way that like actually adds, it's not just like a novelty. Um... And I think that the without me, without you into $20 does it in sort of the most obvious way, which is that like, there's never going to be like a, a break between the tracks because it's playing on a vinyl with, without me, with, um, with letters to an old poet, she says, I can't feel it yet, but I'm waiting and it stops on waiting. And it's not just that it stops on waiting and then you're waiting and it doesn't stop. It's that you have to get up and do something. To make the album stop. And like you have to get up. And you have to take action. And I feel like. You know when you're looking at. This whole album and this whole band. As a. As a this. This this thing. This big thing that is doing so many different things. It feels like. They're looking at you right in the eye. And saying, like, it's on you now. Like, we made this, and you get to experience it, and now it's on you to get up and do something yourself. And that's why I think Boy Genius is a super group. <laughs> and the sun is is directly in my eyes right now. <laughs> Almost as if it is setting, like, it might not be the same day <laughs> it was when you started this. <laughs> That's my thoughts on Boy Genius. I love I them. I think they're important. I agree. Great job. I do. I do want to say. I do want to ask um, if you could hear them play one song live. What song would you want to hear them play live? Uh, Twenty dollars. That's fair. Yeah. I mine is definitely Catch 'em Idaho. Uh, I guess True Blue for me, but 
I need to spend more time with the songs before I have a strong feeling about how to answer that question. That's fair. And I am excited to see. I'm, I'm curious to see what their set list is going to look like um, and what they are and aren't going to play. But especially since I'm seeing them at this weird thing where there's th- sort of three opening acts, quote unquote. But we'll see. Um, well, thank you so much for listening to me talk about Boy Genius for so long. And I love you no. guys. And Thank you for thank having you. me here. Uh, we'll see you for something in May. Tune in next month for my episode about Better Oblivion Community Center. <laughs> you just only talk about Connor Oberst the whole time you barely mentioned Phoebe Bridgers. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Love you, bye. Love you. Love you too, bye. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at youngestofone, and his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram.